0: Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 23 to 25. And Jesus was going about in all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And the news about him went on out into all Syria and they brought to him all who were ill, taken with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great multitudes followed him from Galilee and Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. We have seen in messages in the past that Jesus, after his Baptism, after his temptation in the wilderness where he had gained the victory over the devil, we're told that uh, as Jesus told John the Baptist, he must fulfill all righteousness, and that was part of his baptism, part of his temptation. He must prevail where the first Adam had failed. Jesus, after that, His return from the wilderness, having victory over the devil. We're told uh, that he gathered some disciples. uh, And he had a short ministry for a time. It could have been maybe up close to a year in Judea. uh, That overlapped with John the Baptist. But we saw that uh, that would soon... uh, disappear with John the Baptist's arrest. And that cleared the way and uh, for Jesus' ministry to gain preeminence among the people. He was already gaining uh, great followings. And as John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. Jesus will leave Judea with some of his disciples and go to Galilee. And we saw that the reason he goes to Galilee of the Gentiles, was because the prophet prophet prophesied Isaiah that it would take place. Prophecy, again, is simply God's predestinating purpose. And God's purposes will always be fulfilled to the very detail. And so Jesus will go to an area, as we have mentioned, to a people of Galilee of the Gentiles, the area was known as zebulun Naphtali. Uh, these people were rude, they were crude, as Nathaniel when uh, was told that the Messiah had been found, Jesus from Nazareth he said, "Can anything good come out of Nazareth uh, That was the perception. Jesus will go to that area. why to reach people <coughs> who are sitting, as the Scripture says, in darkness and sitting under the shadow of death. These were people without hope in many respects, and those are the very people that Jesus will go to, demonstrating that the Messiah reaches to everyone. The Lord often picks the most downtrodden places to go and minister, And it will be among those people that he will show his glorious grace and mercy. We're told the Messiah himself. Did he not call himself the light of the world? He'll come performing incredible miracles and that with these miracles he would come preaching the gospel of the kingdom. That glorious message that originates not among men but from God himself from heaven. The light, we are told, would dawn upon these people. These people who were chosen before the foundation of the world. That is the elect of God. The elect of God are chosen before the foundation of the world. Though we may be elect, we are not justified until the light dawns in our minds and in our hearts and we receive Christ. And though we see that this great light shone among the people, those whom God would bring to himself in saving faith, and that great light would simultaneously shine to others who would have no desire whatsoever. Those who were entrenched in their sins, they saw a great light, but they really did not see it. They saw it, but they really did not see it. They would refuse to come to the light. And as Jesus will say in John 3, why do men refuse to come to the light? Because they hate the light and they love the darkness, he says, and that they don't come to the light so because their deeds, their evil deeds, would be exposed. And the most uh, notorious of those who did not come to the light were the religious teachers of the time, the Pharisees. They would see the light, and yet they had great hostility. They, As Jesus said, they loved the darkness, and they would not come to the light, Jesus. Jesus had chosen some of his disciples already in Judea. They will go to Galilee, and as we have noted last week, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, the sons of Zebedee, they were all fishermen. And we saw that great uh, display of divine power whereby Jesus allows these fishermen to make an unbelievable catch of fish only for the purpose of then telling them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. So significant it will be like this catch that will astound you. Remember, when those fish were drawn in, the nets were breaking, and they had to bring over another boat, and they were filling up the fish the boats were about to sink. Remember, it's Peter who falls down at the feet of Jesus. Depart from me. I'm a sinner, O Lord. But then we see that Jesus will tell them, "Come and follow me," and they did. And they left all for the sake of King Jesus. They left it all to follow him. Now let's read again, verses twenty-three to twenty-five. Jesus was going about in all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Healing them of every kind of disease, every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread. They brought to him everyone who was ill, various diseases, pains, demoniacs, epileptics, uh, paralytics. He healed them all. We have seen that Jesus' message was simple, but it was profound. Repent and believe in the gospel. That was his message. And we see here that this message of repentance and belief is said to be the gospel. That's what it's said to be. And so the word gospel is taken from those phrases where it says it is glad tidings of good things. That is what the gospel is. Glad tidings. It is good news. Good news to whom? To sinners like us. That's why it's good news. It's good news to them if they confess their sins and repent of their sins. If a person doesn't confess and repent, it's not good news. It's not good news to those who don't believe in Jesus. Then that gospel is not good news to them. I say all this to tell you That we, I think you are aware, we live in an age in which is becoming increasingly hostile to the message of the gospel. It's always been offensive throughout church history. There are times where it's more offensive than others. But we are living in a time where that simple gospel message is becoming more offensive to people around us. And the uh, the modus operandi, if we may say it that way, is that there is the attitude we must accept all religions as equal. That we should all coexist. I see, I don't know about you, but I see increasingly more vehicles that have that bumper sticker coexist on it with all the different religious symbols. <clears throat> you and I will become the object of derision. And the reason why we will be derided is because we will be perceived as being narrow-minded, bigoted. Brothers and sisters, do not yield one inch whatsoever, no matter how much hostility may come your way for being the one who thinks that only in Jesus is there salvation. Don't. Yield an inch. They will intimidate you. They will try to intimidate you. But boldly testify to them that it is not for them to choose the means of salvation. Man doesn't decide how he shall be saved. God decides how men will be saved. And God has provided the means. In the Lord Jesus, and only in the Lord Jesus, men have no bargaining chips whatsoever with God. No, Jesus' ministry, as we were told here in verse 23, states that he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And as he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom, he was healing everyone Of all kinds of illnesses, there was no illness too severe for Jesus to heal. Understand this, that the testimony that the kingdom of God has already arrived. That's a very important point to understand. In his preaching of the gospel of the kingdom... And all of these miracles that attended to it bore testimony the kingdom of God has already arrived. It's been on the earth for now close to 2,000 years. And it is not reserved for a time after the second coming, as some might tell us. It is not primarily a Jewish emphasis. That kind of emphasis... Is not the gospel. The gospel message is that everyone can come to Jesus Christ. The dividing barrier between Jew and Gentile has been broken down. The promises of the Old Testament are very clear that the gospel was always intended to reach the Gentile nations. And so any idea of going back to the shadows. Or going back to some Jewish exclusiveness that keeps the Gentile nations out somehow is not what the Scripture teaches. Jesus said, In my preaching and in my miracles, the kingdom has already come upon you. It's already here. Jesus' healing ministry had a threefold significance that we must never forget. And keep in mind that Jesus did not have uh, healing services as such as the main calling card uh, for people to come to as is very common today among those who want to emphasize we're going to have a healing service uh, between Thursday and Saturday of this month uh, whereby that is the emphasis. That wasn't the emphasis in Jesus' ministry. And he had the capacity to heal Everybody, no matter how sick they were, no matter how bad their uh, illness was, not like others today. His miraculous ministry was unique and it would pass along with the apostles of that time. But it was not the center stage. The center stage is the message. So. Jesus' miracles had a threefold purpose. Now, here's the, here's the significance of the miracles of Jesus. First, they confirmed his message. One of the most forthright passages in the Word of God demonstrating this, I'll, we're going to look up a lot of passages, you don't need to look up this one right now, but John 14, 11 says... Jesus says, believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. Otherwise, believe on account of the works themselves. He says, if you're having trouble believing in me, at least believe in the works that you're seeing. Secondly, believing in the works themselves was to show forth that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ. The promised one who had been promised since the dawn of time in the Garden of Eden with the pronouncement of the curse upon Adam and Eve and on the devil. But he said, there will be one who will come, the seed of the woman, uh, who Satan you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. There in Genesis 3, we have the promise of the coming one. And for century after century, the Jews knew of this prophecy of this one. And knew that the Messiah was the Son of God. Even the Pharisees knew that the Messiah was to be the Son of God. They just didn't understand and didn't believe that it would be in this man Jesus. That was the problem. So in believing in the works, we are giving testimony, as Jesus said, my works will testify to the fact that I am the Messiah. I am the promised one. And then third, what did the miracles prove? They proved that in a true sense, the kingdom of God had already arrived. So there's your threefold significance of the miracles of Jesus. Confirmed his message show that he is the Messiah, and show that the kingdom of God had already arrived. Well, let's deal with the first point, that the miracles of Jesus confirmed that uh, his message. I want you to turn. I know we're going to jump over to Matthew. We'll deal with Matthew 11 uh, right now to a certain extent. When I get to Matthew 11 and the exposition, maybe not we'll deal with it to the extent that I'm going to now. But turn to Matthew 11. Look at verses 1 through 6. John had already been arrested, John the Baptist, that is, and John in prison is beginning to doubt. It says in, in Matthew 11, starting at verse 1, and it came about that when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his twelve disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John in prison heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who keeps from stumbling. Over me. We'll look at this a little bit more, but then turn over to John 6, verse 14. Now, this is right after they had gathered up the remains of him having fed the 5,000 in a miraculous way. We're told in verse 14 When therefore the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is of a truth, the prophet who is to come into the world. When Jesus fed them in a miraculous way, the impact of that miracle was that a multitude, of many of those people said, this is the prophet, what? That is coming to the world, not an ordinary prophet, the promised prophet, in other words, the Messiah. His his miracle got the point across to many of them. And so when when Jesus, in Matthew 11 here, when Jesus responded to uh, the questions of John the Baptist through uh, disciples of John, Jesus simply is going to quote the scripture for, uh, for John the Baptist's benefit. He says, John, I'm going to answer your question. I'll answer it according to, pro- to prophecy. So how in, in answering the question, Jesus is simply referring back to several Old Testament passages. And namely, uh, we're going to take a look at these. Uh, first of all, turn to Isaiah chapter 35. It's important to read. the the entire chapter here because this is the backdrop of Jesus' response to John the Baptist. Are we to expect another? Or are you the promised one? Jesus says, Well, John, here's your answer. Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the desert will be glad. The Arabah will rejoice and blossom like the crocus." It will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord. The majesty of our God. Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer. And the tongue of the dumb will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. And the scorched land will become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. and the haunted jackals it's resting place. Grass becomes reeds and rushes, and a highway will be there. A roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks that way. Fools will not wander on it. No lion will be there nor will any vicious beast go up on it. These will not be there, but the redeemed will walk there. The ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. John, that is your answer. Everything I'm doing, John, is fulfilling Isaiah 35. And it's fulfilled in a way, literally, in terms of, because Jesus is actually healing blind people, lame people, all sorts. I mean, so it is a real literal healing. But then notice all the imagery here. It says no lions will be on this highway of the Lord. No vicious beasts." This idea that it will be Peaceful. The unclean are not going to be on this highway, but the redeemed of the Lord will be on this highway. And the blind, the dumb, the lame, they will shout for joy. And so we see when Jesus healed many of these people, it had a profound impact upon them, drawing them to Jesus. In gratefulness to what Jesus had done physically for them. As to the blind, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 42 and look at verse 7 and verse 16. Let's back up to verse 6, Isaiah 42, 6 and 7. I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. I am the Lord, that is my name. Then verse 16. And I will lead the blind by a way they do not know, In paths they do not know, I will guide them. I will make darkness into light before them, and rugged places into plains. These are the things I will do, and I will not leave them undone. God the Father is speaking to God the Son, whom He is going to bring as the Messiah. And He says, you will be a light to the nations. You will open blind eyes. So not only will he open the physically blind eyes, he will open up their eyes to their hearts. And he he often did that with that mechanism of healing them physically to drive home to them. He is no ordinary man. Remember, the prophecy of Jesus going to Galilee was that he will go to Galilee of the Gentiles for these people are what? sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death. And the light will dawn upon them. And so we see that to these blind, Jesus, the Messiah, came, healed them, not only of their physical blindness, but healed them of their spiritual blindness, as we're going to see the impact of his miracle on a blind man in a moment. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 43, look at verses 7 and 8. Everyone who is called by my name, and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made, bring out the people who are blind, even though they have eyes, and the deaf, even though they have ears. All the nations have gathered together in order that the peoples may be assembled. Who among them can declare this and proclaim to us the former things? So we see here that everyone who is called by my name, whom I have made for my glory, whom I have made, whom I have formed, bring them out. All those who are blind. Now, the major emphasis here has to do with a spiritual healing. Everyone who is called by my name sort of reminds us of when God came to Saul of Tarsus. Saul, Saul. And he confronts him on the road to Damascus. And and Saul of Tarsus is converted at that moment. All those, as Jesus says, everyone whom the Father has given to me shall come to me. So when he said, everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory. He's talking about the elect of God. whom he's going to bring. And and these elect, many of them have resided in spiritual darkness and some of them in physical darkness, being actually blind, physically. And they have been made for me. I will bring them uh, to glory. He says, I've made them for my glory. You know, one of the great things is this. When God goes to save a people, it is irresistible. When he goes to save his elect, it is irresistible. There are times when men may may hear the gospel, but they don't respond then. That's the testimony of, of many. But then there comes a time when God intends to actually open their heart at that moment. And they will see. And those elect will most assuredly come. You hear of all the circumstances of of how people are brought to Christ. And later on, they bear testimony of all the various things, quote, if I may say, coincidences. And they weren't coincidences. To get a person in the right place at the right time, often to hear a preacher And that's when God speaks. That's why it's important to invite people to church. God works in church services in a way that often he doesn't work elsewhere. He does work elsewhere, but it is the preaching that is the primary means. And so we see that these people that God will bring, and all of these people, no matter where they are, even if they were among those rude and crude Galileans, it says Jesus is brought to them to preach. And the dawn of the gospel will be raised in their hearts. Tour with me to Matthew chapter 9, verses 27 through 33. And Jesus passed on from there. Two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Have mercy on us, son of David. Let's stop right there. That's no minor term. That says a lot about those blind men, physically blind men, to call Jesus the son of David. That was profound in itself, that they made that testimony about Jesus. And then it says, And after he had come into the house... The blind men came up to him and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? In other words, do you believe I can heal you? They said to him, yes, Lord. They called him Lord. Then he touched their eyes saying, be it done to you according to your faith. Their eyes were opened And Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See here, let no one know about this. But they went out and spread the news about him and all the land. It's hard to imagine here. He didn't want, he told them not to do something, but you think he didn't know they were going to go out and tell people? The fact that they had received their physical sight, they are going out and telling everybody. And they were going out, behold, a dumb man, a demon possessed, was brought to him. And after the demon was cast out, the dumb man spoke, and the multitudes marveled, saying, and here's the important part, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Nothing like this. But the Pharisees were saying, he casts out the demons by the ruler of the Demons. See the the diametrically, uh, the contrast here between the impact of those who are physically healed, the joy, the enthusiasm, you've got to go tell somebody, as opposed to, and the the, the impact among the multitudes. Nothing like this has ever happened in Israel. I mean, this is extraordinary. But what was the impact with the uh, Pharisees? Hardened heart. Hostility. They saw the miracles. But it had no impact spiritually on them whatsoever. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. Look at verses 29-31. And departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee. And having gone up to the mountain, he was sitting there. And great multitudes came to him bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, dumb, and many others. And they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So that the multitude marveled as they saw the dumb speaking, the crippled restore, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And what was the impact? They glorified the God of Israel. See, that is the purpose of the miracles, is to bring glory to God and to focus on the one who's doing it and what the message of this man who's doing it. One of the most profound effects upon a blind man and the impact that they had on him spiritually is the account in John chapter 9. So turn to John chapter 9. And we won't read the the whole chapter, but we'll read portions. Let's start with John 9, verses 1 through 6. And he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned, nor his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. Stop right there for a second. Some people say, why? Why does God bring such, as it were on the surface, such traumatic things in the lives of people? And what does it say here? I mean, who's responsible, that man or the parents or who? And Jesus says, well, really in this case, it's neither. Neither. But it's for the purpose of the glory of God. God wants to do something amazing. Moving on, he says, We must work the works of him who sent me, as long as it is day, night is coming, when no man can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes. And he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. The man will be healed, we're told. Move on to verse 13 and following. To verse 17. They brought to the Pharisees him who was formerly blind. Now it was the Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Again, therefore, the Pharisees also were asking him how he received his sight. And he said to them, "He applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see." Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, "Let's stop right there. I want you just to get a hold of you how bad these Pharisees are." Here is a man who has been blind from birth, from birth, and he's been healed. Imagine the joy in this man. But look at the Pharisees. They jump all over this guy. They become accusatory of this man. Because they say in verse 16, Therefore some of the Pharisees were saying, This man's not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Because he healed on the Sabbath, he didn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them, even among the Pharisees. There was a big theological debate broke out. We can't deny the signs. I mean, surely this is no ordinary man because nothing like this has ever been done in Israel. How do we account for this? They said, verse 17, therefore to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes and he said, he is a prophet. See the, how it got the point across to the blind man? This man is a prophet. Move ahead to uh, verses... Uh, well, let's keep uh, reading John. Let's just keep reading the passage here. The Jews, therefore, did not believe it of him that he had been blind... <laughs> And had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received the sight and questioned them saying, Is this your son who was born blind and how does he now see? And his parents answered and said, We know this is our son and that he was born blind. But now he now sees. We do not know how he sees. Who opened his eyes? We do not know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this. This shows you the intimidation of the Pharisees had him. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess him to be Christ, that is Messiah, he could be put out of the synagogue. See, the parents were concerned if they say that this man is the Christ because he's healed their son who was born blind they be thrown out of the synagogue. So they said, well, just go ask him. <laughs> they just sort of just moved it on. For this reason, his parents said he's of age. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner, meaning Jesus is a sinner. You give glory to God. Don't call him a prophet. He therefore answered, well, he's a sinner. I don't know. One thing I do know, that whereas I was blind now, see, they said, therefore, to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I told you already. And yet you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples, too, do you? (laughs) Not hardly. I mean, the the blind man, the formerly blind man says, I've already told you. What do you want to hear to you? You want to be his disciples? And they reviled him. Meaning, the Pharisees reviled this man who had been born blind and received a sight. Jesus did a miraculous miracle to this man. And as a result, he's giving glory to God, recognizes Jesus as a prophet. And what does he get for it? The reviling of of the religious leaders of the day. I mean, what a revelation to be have your first sight, and then your encounter is with a bunch of people say, How dare you be healed, you know? How dare you call this man a prophet? <laughs> Welcome to the world of sight. <laughs> the man answered and said to them, Well, here is an amazing thing that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes He said, We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. I mean, this is a wonderful testimony, this book to me. They answered and said to him, You were born entirely in sins, and you teaching us? They put him out. This guy who receives sight, they kick him out. Get out of here. Jesus heard that they had put him out. (laughs) And Jesus sought this man out. He, finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see And those who see may become blind. Those are the Pharisees who heard him these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. See the impact of the physical miracle? It led this man blind from birth to come to Christ, recognizing Jesus. Because he understood that nothing like this had ever happened. He testifies no one ever had heard of anyone being healed of their blindness from birth. The the light dawned on this man physically, and the light dawned in this man's heart. Because Jesus says, this prophet, I am the one who's speaking to you. And he worshipped Jesus as he ought to. And yet the Pharisees, the hardened hearts that they had, they saw the miracle. They recognized it. They brought in the parents who confirmed it. Did do anything? No. You're not calling us blind, are you, Jesus? Your sin remains. I have done the work of the Messiah, and you, you don't believe. This blind man believes, but not you. Turn to John 11. We'll pick up at verses 41 through 46. It's the whole story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead physically. And when Jesus... It said in verse 41, And when they removed the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hearest me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people standing around, I said it, that they may believe that thou didst send me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said, Unbind him and let him go. Many, therefore, of the Jews who had come to Mary and beheld what he had done, believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. And then they will conspire to kill Jesus. So what was Jesus' great sin? He had the audacity to raise the dead. And notice that Jesus said, I've said these things publicly so that everyone around me would hear me. And why did he want them to hear him? So that they would understand, Thou Father didst send me. I am the Messiah. I can not only give the blind sight, I can actually raise the dead. Remember what John's question was? Are you the expected one, the Messiah, or we expect another? John, I heal the blind, I heal the lame, I even raise the dead, John. It's pretty obvious, John. What about? So we see that his miracles. Why did Jesus go around doing these miracles? To confirm his message. It gave, uh, as it were, corroborary testimony to his message. It wasn't the essence of his message, but it bore testimony in a powerful way, didn't it? And it's the same thing that will be true of the apostles in the early church. They will be given the ability to do miraculous powers. What? Why? So as they would hear the message and say, we didn't do it, but Jesus did it. Listen to our message. Listen to our sermons that Jesus is the Savior of sinners what about the demoniacs for whom Jesus delivered from Satan's delivery? Not only you know, did he heal the blind, uh, the lame, raise the dead, he cast out demons. Let's just look at one instance. Moving ahead to Matthew, look at Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 22 through 29. Then there was brought to him a demon-possessed man who was blind and dumb. Meaning the demon, he caused this man to be blind and dumb. And he healed him, so that the dumb man spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were what? Amazed and began to say, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? Meaning, is this the Messiah? The one promised that would come from David? Is Is this This man, really. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this man casts out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. And knowing their thoughts, he said to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And any city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then shall his kingdom stand? And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? You going to call them doing it by Beelzebub? Consequently, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God... Now notice, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Not future, it already has come upon you. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? Jesus is saying, You know, one of the definitive proofs that the Messiah, I am the Messiah, and that the kingdom of God has arrived, and that my message that I preach means the kingdom of God has arrived, is that I can cast out the demons. Who do you think Jesus was referring to as the strong man whose house is plundered? Satan. Satan is the strong man of the house. And so Jesus has come in. And he says, the reason I can cast out demons, I've gone into, as it were, Satan's domain, and I've bound him up. And since I've bound him up, he can't do anything uh, in that sense. And I can go out then, and I can plunder his whole domain. You know what the kingdom of God is when it's arrived? It is the plundering of Satan's domain. That's what the gospel is all about. It is the plundering of of the domain of Satan. Turn over with me to 2 Corinthians 10. We've looked at this before, but it's it's, pertinent here. Look at 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3-5. through For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh... For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought what captive to the obedience of Christ. Sounds like binding the straw man and plundering his domain, doesn't it? Of course, by casting out the demons, the kingdom of God has come upon you. And the kingdom of God has been in this world since the coming of the Messiah. And the church has been regularly plundering Satan's domain. And that's why the gospel has had the proliferation for nearly 2000 years that it has is because Satan's domain is being systematically plundered and it will even be more plundered in some sometime in the future we don't know when the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea when the nations will stream unto Zion to learn the ways of God, when the nations will beat their swords into plowshares and learn war no more, Satan's domain will be utterly devastated. Now, in Matthew eleven five, Jesus said that the poor would have the gospel preached to them. In answering John's question. Are you the expected one? He says, well, the gospel, John, has been preached to the poor. That's all I need to say to you, John, to prove that I am the Messiah. Now, who are the poor? Well, Jesus did come. He did help the economically poor. However, the word is often translated uh, the poor, meaning the humble or the afflicted ones. Just do a word study and you'll find that that is the case. So when, when, John, when Jesus answered John the Baptist's question, are you the expected one? He says, well, John, I'm want going to quote you Isaiah 61. Turn to Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 6. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, to freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, so they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planning of the Lord that he may be glorified, they will rebuild the ancient ruins, they will raise up the former devastations, and they will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations, and strangers will stand and pasture your flocks, and foreigners will be your farmers and your vine dressers. But you will be called the priests of the Lord. You will be spoken of as ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of nations and their riches. You will boast. That is the passage Jesus quoted to the disciples of John the Baptist to take back to John. It is the same passage that Jesus read in the synagogue in Nazareth when he was given the role of Isaiah to read. And what's interesting, Jesus, the words in the New Testament that are translated translated says, I was sent, he says, to bring the gospel to the poor. Those are Jesus' words. So all you have to do is just take that back to Isaiah 61. What does it say that the Messiah will do? He will bring good news. Well, that is the gospel. The gospel is said to be the good news to the afflicted. Well, I thought Jesus said it was to the poor, you know, those who don't have any money. No. The major thrust here Jesus was getting at, it's not the economically poor that I have in mind. It's the afflicted ones. It's the humble ones. That's who I was sent to preach the gospel to. And guess what? That passage in Isaiah 61, that passage there in verse 4, it says that they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations. James the Apostle will refer to that passage because that passage is quoted in Amos, Amos chapter 9. And James will refer to that passage when they were debating at the Council of Jerusalem what are we to do with all these Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus? And James says, well, it's the fulfillment of Amos, who takes it from as well from Isaiah. The, the, the reception of the gospel to the Gentiles is the restoration of David's tabernacle. Those are James's inspired words. So, turn to Psalm 149. Look at verses 1-4. through Praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song in His praise in the congregation of the godly ones. Let Israel be glad in His Maker. Let the sons of Zion rejoice in their King. Let them praise His name with dancing. Let them sing praises to Him with timbrel and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in His people and He will beautify the afflicted ones. There's our Hebrew word... That's in Isaiah, translated in the New Testament, as the poor. He will beautify the afflicted ones with salvation. You don't need to turn here, but in Numbers 12, verse 3, what does the Scripture refer to Moses? It says, Moses was the most meek, humble man. That is our word that is used in Isaiah 61. That word is used, translated probably more with reference to humility than any other way. So when Jesus is saying to John the Baptist, Am I the Messiah, John? Well, the gospel is preached to the humble. Well, who are the humble? Those who see that they need a Savior. Who confess their sins and believe in me. Those are the humble ones. Well, who wasn't humble? The Pharisees, the self righteous religious leaders, were not humble. So, in one sense, Jesus did preach the gospel to them, but hearing, they did not hear. And Jesus says, and in seeing, you did not see. Therefore, your sins remain. Because I told you the gospel. I I told you the way of salvation. It's only through me. It's not by being good. It's it's the fact that you've got to recognize you are a worthless sinner deserving the wrath of God. And your only hope is to call upon me to confess your sins. In just a few weeks, we're going to be reading, starting on the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, next week, we'll start on the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5. And one of the things Jesus is say, Blessed are the meek, the humble, for they shall see God. Do you understand now what Jesus is giving you? They, the humble, will see God. The light will dawn upon them. Wherever the light comes, brethren, there comes great responsibility. Wherever the gospel is preached, nothing is ever the same. Never the same. And when that gospel is preached, God is saying, repent and believe, and you shall be saved. But if you don't, then those words will be raised up against you on the day of judgment. I sent you a preacher. In fact, I may have sent you a preacher many times. And you heard, but you did not hear. You saw, but you did not really see. Depart from me into everlasting destruction. I call unto you. Salvation has come. The gospel has come. The kingdom of God has arrived. What are you going to do with it? Let us pray.